Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Relativism. It's the idea that moral and spiritual truth is relative to or it depends upon an individual or our cultural beliefs. Beloved, the truth does not change with the culture, but the truth will fight against the culture. And so rather than embrace the truth, they begin to reject the truth. David Guzik writes, the spirit of this modern age has heavy influence on Christians. We live in a day where Pilate's question, what is truth, is answered today as, I don't know, whatever it means to you. Perhaps one of the most dangerous ideological developments of our generation is the idea of moral relativism. This is the idea that moral standards are subject to the current cultural norms and can shift at any given moment. However, we as believers know that this ideology is simply impossible to live out. In today's message, Pastor David warns us about the rampant rise of moral relativism in our culture today. In our study, we learn the importance of holding fast to God's Word as our standard, no matter how controversial we might become. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, Holding to the Truth. Today, what one believes, that is, their doctrine, is staggeringly unimportant to most people. It's at that point, I don't want to let you know, today I'm going to give you a lot of information. It's a little bit different kind of message this morning. We're not going to go verse by verse. I, again, want to lay the, the foundation of why it's so important of what Paul is writing to Timothy, why it's so important for you and I to be well grounded within the Word of God. There is an enormous move. It's always been there. I understand that it's always been there. But I believe that in these days, in these last days, the move is escalating. And sometimes even under the guise of Christianity, but the move is escalating to cut up, to, to remove, or to destroy the strength of God's Word, particularly when it goes against the flow of the ever-changing cultural moralities and standards. Let me ask you, church, should the Bible change according to the standards of our culture? No. We, as the church, with the Word of God, need to maintain that, fa- that, that foundation, and through that foundation, we as the church need to impact our culture. Now, we may do it in, in, in a different way, a different style. The message may come across in a different style, but the message can never change. It can never be watered down. Again, the attacks on the Word of God, and they're just overwhelming, and you could, 
you could, you could spend a lot of time looking and understanding all of these attacks that are coming on the Word of God. Bear with me here as I share with you some. Some of the attacks, how about millions and billions of years of accidental evolution being taught as fact within the public schools from preschool, actually before preschool. You can look at children's cartoons that four and five-year-olds are watching. And speaking again, millions and billion years of accidental evolution being taught all the way from the smallest of children all the way through university. Even a mention of intelligent design, that there must be an intelligent designer in the midst of this. No, no, they, they won't allow that. And they definitely will not allow creationism, a teaching of creationism, even if it's just listed as an alternate concept. Now, we believe in evolution, the, the, the schools might say, but here's an alternate viewpoint. No, they will not even mention it. How about the biblical mandates of one man and one woman as husband and wife for life? That's being thrown out. And again, the courts throughout our land are now forcing every state of the union to recognize and support same-sex unions. To pray in the name of Jesus is being disallowed by military chaplains. The words and the message of the Bible have been watered down to simply be stories or, or myths by many of the mainline denominations and even their seminaries. Young men and women are going to seminary and their seminary professors are speaking about the myths, the allegories. They say that Adam and Eve were simply allegorical. That again, the, the creation narrative was, was, was just simply man's way of kind of throwing together kind of how things came and how they went. Well, let's just go ahead and take our Bibles this morning, turn over to Genesis chapter 1 and rip out. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Destroy them because they're of absolutely no value. How about the virgin birth and the resurrection? Again, even within our seminaries and within many mainline denominations, being removed from their teachings because they're not really important. After all, Jesus was a good man. He lived a good life. He taught the goodness of God. All we need to do is understand the teachings of Jesus we don't need to worry about the virgin birth. We don't need to worry about the resurrection. But beloved, I tell you this, the Apostle Paul says, if you don't worry about the resurrection, you're missing the whole understanding of what Christianity is all about. As a matter of fact, if we don't have the resurrection, the Apostle Paul says, we are of all men most pitiable. Because if there is no resurrection, then guess what? We have absolutely no hope. Let's go ahead, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. We just settle into the dust of the ground, and we are no more. That is if you don't believe in the resurrection. The virgin birth, the resurrection, both foundations of our faith. Even today, a clear... Listen, I just found this out. As a matter of fact, it was Roger Phillips that shared this with me. Roger and Sue went to a, a conference up in the Scottsdale area a couple of weeks ago. A clear declaration of the doctrine of the virgin birth is being denied by Wycliffe Global Alliance. Now, they are now, they are now a former part of Wycliffe Associates. 
Wycliffe Associates, that worldwide Bible translator. Wycliffe Associates have, have severed ties with Wycliffe Global Alliance. The Global Alliance is saying it's too hard for the Muslims to accept the virgin birth of Christ. So we're going to backpedal away from the virgin birth in order that we can give the message of Christ to them. Thankfully, Wycliffe Associates have parted company with the Global Alliance. Wycliffe Associates said, man, you need to give them the truth and the whole truth because otherwise it is a powerless story that you're speaking to them. Even today, whether it be popular magazines or whether it be internet news sites or broadcast television news sites, they continue to attack the reliability of the scriptures themselves. For example, one article declares, centuries of scholarship have turned up little evidence concerning the, that Jesus or that Jesus' closest disciples did much writing at all. Okay, we removed the first three chapters. Let's remove the first four books. As a matter of fact, we might as well remove all of the New Testament because it's the disciples, it's the followers of Christ that give us our New Testament. As I shared before, uh, much of what Paul has written and, and much of what Paul has even addressed is, I, Paul, writing to you. I, Paul, an apostle. I, Paul, a bondservant, writing this letter to you. They say, no, it wasn't really the Apostle Paul. It was somebody else. Even though church fathers through the centuries have agreed and understood, even to the closest of times that we have, those letters were affirmed. No, these are from the Apostle Paul. That's the strength of these letters. Over the last 10 to 20 years, we've seen organizations rise up. Some of you might be familiar with, uh, it's called the Jesus Seminar. The Jesus Seminar. And you might think, wow, the Jesus Seminar. That's a cool thing. I want to go to a Jesus Seminar. Well, the whole thing of Jesus Seminar, it's about 60 to 70 liberal scholars. They come together and they conclude that actually a very small portion of what you and I have in our New Testament as being the words of Jesus, that Jesus spoke these things, they say, oh, no, no, no. Only a very small part of that are actually the words of Jesus himself. At the same time, they accept non-canonical writings like the Gospel of Thomas and a lot of other unreliable and inconsistent documents. Over the last couple of decades, we've seen a rise of books and, and movies. Some of you may have heard he's been around for wait, I started to say too many years. Okay, God, you're the number of his days. I, I, I won't go there. But he's been around for a lot of years. Bishop Spong, John Spong, was a, a, he's now a retired American bishop of the uh, Episcopal Church. He's a raving liberal, and he calls for the church to do away with almost all of our traditional doctrines. After all, we need to be relevant to the society that we're living in. Many of you have heard, perhaps you've read, perhaps you saw the movie, Dan Brown's uh, The Da Vinci Code, an absolute face-on attack on the validity and the truth of the gospel, on who Jesus is, on the life that he lived, and on the message that he delivered. Again, became a bestseller, became a very popular movie. In 2006, the number four bestseller in the New York Times nonfiction list was The God Delusion, 
by Richard Dawkins. Many of you have heard of Richard Dawkins. By 2015, he had sold more than 3 million copies of that book, saying, you know, God is just simply the figment of the imagination of people who need to have something greater than they are. And so they've designed, they've imagined this thing of God. But you see, the problem is, Richard Dawkins thinks he's the greatest thing. And the problem is, he will find that day and that time when he will stand before the one true almighty God. All of these, along with others throughout the years, this full-on attack on, again, the, the, the reliability of God, the reality of God, the divinity of Christ, the virgin birth, the, the sinlessness of Christ, anything that is the standard or the essential of our faith, is being attacked. We find across the board in mainline Protestant churches the lessening of the importance and the impact of grace and the exaltation of a works-based salvation. problem is, as churches, all across the board, all across our nation, we're seeing this rebirth of what's called universalism. On one hand, you think universalism. Well, God loved the whole world. Is that what? They, no, no. What they're saying is in universalism, everybody's going to be saved. At the end of all, at the end of the day, everyone will be saved. So faith in Christ does not matter. Commitment of our lives to Christ does not matter. And that's a move within what we would understand to be Christian churches even today. And today, in particular, we see a rise of what's called relativism, relativism. And you see what society is telling us is, is that truth changes. Truth never changes. How it impacts our life may change. When we fight against the truth, suddenly that truth becomes a burden against our life. Relativism. It's the idea that moral and spiritual truth is relative to, or it depends upon, an individual or our cultural beliefs. Beloved, the truth does not change with the culture, but the truth will fight against the culture. And so rather than embrace the truth, they begin to reject the truth. David Guzik writes, The spirit of this modern age has heavy influence on Christians. We live in a day where Pilate's question what is truth is answered today as, I don't know, whatever it means to you. You see, your truth is good for you, Jack. My truth is good for me. Ed, whatever truth is for you, that's great. You go with it. And Kelly, if truth is different from you, then hey, we, man, let's just love each other and get along. You see, suddenly truth means nothing. Truth means nothing. And that's what relativism does. We need to understand that truth is truth, and truth is important to God, and it should be important to us. Let me quickly go through some of these things. An organization called Impact 360, they've got a website, impact360.org. They are a ministry that is devoted primarily to those young people, those young adults, in educating and equipping 
young adults today to stand firm in their Christian faith and the Word of God in the midst of a society and a culture that is moving and shifting far, far away from it. Impact 360 gives us these uh, statistics. 47% of those students who are 18 to 23 years of age, those attending church on any kind of a regular basis, believe that morals are relevant. They're only true as the situation demands it. Half of that young generation thinks that morals are flexible, that morals change from one day to the next. On top of that, 54% within the church today believe that there is more than one way of salvation. That's within what you and I would understand would be the church across denominational lines. But primarily, we look within even our culture. Half of those attending a church today, a little more than half, 54%, think that surely there's got to be more than one way for salvation. And yet Jesus, in his very narrow-minded way, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. That there is one way. David Kinneman, he's the president of the Barna Survey Company and our group, and he gives this, people's moral profile is more likely to resemble that of their peer group than it is to take shape around the tenets of a person's faith. This research paints a compelling picture that moral values are shifting very quickly and significantly within even the Christian community, and even more so outside of it. In other words, we believe and we act more according to our peers than we do under the understanding and the truth of our faith. That's why the Word declares long ago, bad company corrupts good morals. I could go on and on. I, I really could. I was overwhelmed with all the information I was able to pull down. I thought, man, that, that could go for an hour. But professing believers, professing believers and the church in general are getting caught up in this avalanche of false teachings that, oh, we understand outside the church, but beloved, this stuff is on the inside. And unknowingly, people will go into a church saying, well, this is a church, they got a cross on the front, and they sing a few hymns, and the guy stands up and he says a few good words, surely it's a church. And yet it's not grounded in the truth. It doesn't profess the truth. It doesn't hold to the truth. Timothy's job was going to be a severe one. They had already started the false teachings. They had already started the false doctrines. That's why Paul said, man, don't let them do that. Don't let them continue on in these false doctrines. It was Timothy's job as that new pastor in that congregation to come and, again, sway the hearts of the Ephesians away from those enticing doctrines of man and instilling, again, the truth of the Word of God and the gospel message into the people there at Ephesus. And, beloved, it was there 30 years 
after the life and the ministry of Christ, six years after Paul had spent two of his years planting and nourishing and founding that church. Beloved, it's today also happening within the church today. And I believe that in these last days, it will continue to gain intensity. Today, as children move forward, I think of our young generation, the young children. They're moving forward. My, my heart and my, uh, and my blessings are on school teachers in the public school system. You have a job ahead of you as a believer that is almost overwhelming because children go in Again, they, they begin living their lives, and so many of them come without any kind of foundation in God's Word that's been laid on their lives by godly parents. They just don't have that. They're not attending gospel-preaching churches. They don't have that. But they move into a secular education system that excludes and restricts the truth, and it exalts the lie. And so generations arise no longer having a biblical worldview about them, and they are being fed a secular worldview over and over and over and over again everywhere that they turn. And all the while, this secular worldview does not hold to the sacredness of life. It continues to declare that all truth should be relative or subjective to the situation. Secular worldview does not call for personal responsibility. We are in a culture right now that men and women and young people who transgress the law bring up the excuse, I could not help myself. I was raised in a bad neighborhood. I could not help myself. My, my parents messed my life up as a young child. And that's the way that I am. Rather than taking personal responsibility. You see, the problem I have with that excuse is there are multitudes of godly men and women that have come out of bad neighborhoods. There are multitudes of godly men and women who are raised by heathen and even paganistic parents. And yet they understood the truth and they moved in the truth. This whole secular worldview puts the emphasis on man and refuses to even acknowledge God. It denies the very existence of God. We've come to a place in our nation, in our culture, where as the Lord spoke to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 9, the Lord speaking through Jeremiah these words. He says, everyone take heed to his neighbor and do not trust any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant and every neighborhood will walk with slanderers. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. And through deceit, they refuse to know me, says the Lord. And beloved, you and I as the church are now finding ourselves in that very culture. And we are called to be a light in the midst of that darkness. We are called to be truth in the midst of the lies. We are called to stand firm and fast on the truth while the rest of the world is shaking and slittering and changing at every gust of wind.
The book of 1 Timothy opens our eyes to the value God places on leadership. The Apostle Paul shares what we should be looking for in the church we attend and in those who lead. We too can learn from these teachings and apply them in areas where we're in leadership. We hope you've learned something valuable from today's message on the open word. We'd like to encourage you, if you haven't already, to find a local church that you can call home. Being a part of a faith community is essential for growing in your relationship with Jesus and offers you a place to share your unique gifts. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with a special invitation. I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com. Then follow the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. You'll also be able to get more information by calling 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Timothy right here on The Open Word.